Welcome to the Go and Tell Gals podcast. I'm your host, Jess Connolly. I'm an author, a Bible teacher, a coach, and I'm obsessed with helping women take their place in the kingdom and use their God-given gifts. At Go and Tell Gals, we equip and encourage women with different tools like our Map to More guide, our group coaching program, Go Teams, and even by training other women as coaches through our licensing program. Whether you're a college student, a stay-at-home mom, a small business owner, an astronaut, or a veterinarian, our goal is that you lead this episode feeling more empowered to do what God has called you to do. We're so glad you're here and we're on your team. Let's jump into this week's episode. Hello, friends. This is Jess Connolly, and you are listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast. Listen, I want to just give you a heads up about where we're going today. We have an interview with my friend Jeannie Stevens, whose new book comes out on May 17th. But I want you to hear in my words first how important this book is to me. And you're going to hear about it again in the interview. A lot of times authors, myself included, will go on podcasts and talk about their book I don't know. Something is just hitting really different and really beautiful about Jeannie's work right now for our team. I wanted you to hear me say that. I immediately after this interview told the Go and Tell Gals team, hey, we're all going to read this book together for the summer. I've asked my pastor if we can buy this book for everybody in my church for the summer. It's just a really beautiful work. And this interview with Jeannie is a really beautiful work. Jeannie is one of the pastors of Soul City Church in Chicago. This is her first book, but she is a wise and wonderful woman of mission. And I pray that no matter what your life looks like and no matter what your mission looks like, that this interview and that this book would meet you right where you're at. The book comes out on May 17th, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon, which I have already done. And I highly suggest enjoy this time with Jeannie. Gals, I'm just hitting record. We're going to go all the way vulnerable at the beginning of this episode just to honor the great work I know our friend Jeannie has led us to. And I'm going to tell you right now that you're going to wonder at multiple points in this interview if I am hormonal. And the answer is I'm not. I'm not, but I (laughs) am already tearing up. I'm not at any interesting point in my cycle that would make me be a crying mess. But this book and this woman and this message... There is so much in it for us. And so Jeannie, thank you for being on the Go and Tell Girls podcast. Oh, Jess, thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. I am such a fan of you, of the beautiful work that you do in this world, both you and your husband, but it's an honor, honor to be here. Well, I want to jump right in. I want to tell you guys, I mean, we as podcast hosts, this is what happens. We get books sent to us all the time and In a best case scenario world, I go and tell girls we have time to read the book and really think through it. Your book was different. So I want to just say the best I can tell, I think we met backstage at an event in 2016 is when I think it was. That's right. And I remember my recollection of you was, this is a woman who is very free and very wise and I would say incredibly present. Like I felt very seen and at home in your presence. And it was a space where there were a lot of other women who do what we do, a lot of women in leadership, a lot of women kind of trying to like, you know, be okay, but also like, here I am, here's my presence. And you were just so present. And since then, if someone has mentioned your name to me, I've said like, anytime I can get around her, I want to get around her. She's just wise I want to know more about your church. I want to know about your leadership. I just want to know everything about you because you were so impressive to me in that moment. But all that being said, when I first saw you post, and I don't even know, you might even be able to go back and look on your Instagram a few months ago or however long it was ago that you posted about what's here now. I just, I think I like all capsed it and said like, this is the book we need. And I felt that in my spirit. I have said on the podcast, just even recently, I think that the area of like distraction from the past and the future feels so personal to me, like this new frontier that God is going to bring some healing and hope, but it feels collective. It feels like we don't know how to process the past 
and dream and vision cast in a way that enables us to enjoy the moment, which is what the whole book is about. So I'm going to let you start talking. But I DM'd you yesterday because I finished the book yesterday, closed the last page and just cried crocodile tears and just was like, this is it. That was it. That was every chapter. I was like, that's the chapter I needed. I get to the next chapter. That was the chapter I needed. <laughs> so all that being said, just tell us about what's here now. Tell us about what led to you writing it. Just in your own words, I've already told you I'm calling this podcast episode the book everybody needs to read. <laughs> but what led you to writing it? Oh, thank you for your unbelievably kind and honest words. So first, mm -hmm. thank you. You know, it has been such a journey for me. And yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the story and the unfolding of why it was one of those things that I just knew I, there's those things in life that are options. And then there's those things that are obedience. And I just yeah. knew this, this was not like an optional path for me to yeah. write this book. This was, this book was writing me. Mm. And so I knew that it needed to come through me. And as somebody that communicates and hopes to lead people towards the transforming love of Jesus. And one of the ways that I do that is through words. I always want a message to be in me before it ever comes out of me. I am really committed to not offering fruit that isn't authentic. Yeah. And so I just knew that this was the work that God has been doing in me and it was time to come through me. The story is about 10 and a half, almost 11 years ago, my husband and I started a church in downtown Chicago. We moved into the city with our two young kids. They were two and four at the time. And we started this church in our living room and it was this beautiful faith adventure. It was incredible. I felt like for the first time in my life, I was actually walking on water. I, I had moved beyond being a professional Christian. And I was like, no, I really need Jesus to move in yeah. my life because every day is kind of do or die. <laughs> Let's yeah. see if this thing actually finds oxygen and breathes and grows and yeah. becomes what we sense God is asking us to, to step out and do. Well, it did grow and it, and it uh, did life and lots of oxygen that got put onto this beautiful dream and I had a part of my life that was so alive and full and wildly adventurous in following God. And another part of my life felt dry and mm. hollow. Mm -hmm. And and like the, the best way that I could describe it was using the word fine. Like when somebody when somebody asked me how are you, it'd be like, I'm fine. Mm. And Yet there was a very real part of me that was not fine. And yeah. I, I love how Jesus says it. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And somehow in the process of doing the work of God, the more I did the work of God, the more the work of God was deteriorating inside of me. And what mm -hmm. I realized was that I wasn't fully here. Mm -hmm. I was everywhere but the present moment. And yeah. I started to go, okay, if, if I'm not here, like here, here in this now moment, then where am I? You know, cause I felt like I would be in settings with people, but there was these parts of me that felt connected, but then these other parts that felt very weary and not really fully embodied. And yet here I am, you know, dwelt with the Holy Spirit, leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus, passionate about what I'm doing, believing in all of it. And yet my soul was weary and I was the representation of what Jesus said. I was somehow gaining the world and yet my soul felt forfeited. And yeah. so I had a spiritual or spiritual director in my life that by the grace of God, stepped into my life during that season. And almost like when you go to the mall and there's those big red dots on the directory or you go to the airport, you know, and you're like, I want to figure out, you know, where's the 
where's the Delta terminal, you know? And, and so you yeah. go to the directory and you look, where am I? This spiritual director really tried to help me in the process of locating, where am I? And yeah. what I began to realize was that I had two preferred places to go. My two preferred places to go, and they are not just according to me and where I like to go. I started to see through the process that this is the tendency of, of human nature. So my two places that I realized was I, I either was rehashing the past uh-huh. or I was rehearsing the future. I was kind of going through things that had already happened or I was kind of, you know, going out into the future and rehearsing all of the things that had yet to come. And so it was either I was playing through a what was or a what if, and I wasn't living in the what is. And the more I got into the scriptures and the more I began to see, you know, the present is the only place where we actually can have access to God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same in the past as he will be in the future. But the only place where you and I can experience God is in this now moment. And yet most of us are not here. And I started to realize that if it's not happening now, then it's not happening. But I... I was never in the now. I was never in the here and the now. So therefore, I was not experiencing the presence of God. And my favorite writer is Father Richard Rohr says, we cannot attain the presence of God because we're already in the presence of God. What's missing is awareness. And I began to realize, oh, my awareness of the presence of God is not here because I'm either in the past or I'm in the future. And we can never not be in the presence of God, but so often we forget to get present to the presence of God. Mm. And so in that process, I started realizing, okay, well, well, what am I doing in my past? And what am I doing in my future? And so Mm -hmm. I I started researching like, okay, what happens when when we cognitively spend time in the past? and, And essentially we kind of rehash five different things. Usually, it has to do with blame, shame, grief, bitterness, or guilt. Those are the things that kind of like, almost like wrap a noose around us and pull us to the past. And so we just kind of rehash these areas of blame, you know, when when we don't want to take personal responsibility for something, shame, which, you know, is just simply self-hatred at my expense. And so it pulls us to, to the past grief, and usually it's ungrieved losses, yeah. uh, bitterness, where we're holding on to grudges, right? And then that grudge holds on to us uh, yes. and guilt. These are the things that I realized, oh gosh, every time these things are coming up in my heart, in my thoughts, and in my body, I'm not really here. I'm somewhere in the past. And then the same is true of the future, right? It's probably one of the biggest ones. And worries just simply living in a not yet that is worse than your now. Anytime we're worrying about something, we're just living in a not yet that's worse than our now. So worry was was one of those things. Um, Denial, pretending, obligation. Uh, I was so good at saying should. I should do this. I should do this. And so I would give yeses when yes was not best. And then control was the final one. And I realized those things were the things that were keeping me from the presence of God and and being present with myself and being present with others. Um, Yeah. yeah. It was deep spiritual work in me before it ever came. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that I stepped into doing this spiritual work thinking, I'm going to do the spiritual work so that this spiritual work becomes a book. Like it it was, this was the work I was being invited into by the presence of God. And, and it just so happened to be such a calling that I knew I'm not the only one that is struggling to be here. Mm. And wouldn't you know, I had to write this book in the middle of a pandemic when all we could do was be present to what was. Yeah. Yeah. Or not. I mean, I didn't. (laughs) I think I I played around with those 
five friends on either side of the aisle. Oh, yeah. But what's crazy is this, is if anybody just heard those 10, like descriptor words, and that's what I'm saying, that's how it feels when you read the book is that you're like, oh, how do I deal with my past blame? Oh, that's good. That's me. Yeah. And then you're like, shame. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Grief. Oh, Lord. Goodness. Great. So that's how I felt every chapter. I was like, me too. But what's mm. wild, I mean, again, I finished the book yesterday. I'm like immediately going to start reading it again and processing at a slower pace. But what's wild to me is that in processing those things fully, like in, you know how there's like a difference between listening and hearing. I feel like to some degree I was hearing my blame and hearing my shame a little bit like in the background, but to calm down and to listen to it actually enabled me not only like in that moment to process and be present with God, but then right to say like, I am going to have so much more presence after I process these things, it's yeah. just wild. And it's, I don't know, it's just been wild. Okay, I want to dive into some of the past things first. This is a just, I'm curious piece. My kids and I started talking about this a lot in the pandemic because we noticed it in the pandemic and we're just noticers of humanity. But I noticed that I do think people tend to lean towards blame or shame would you say that feels true that like one tends to feel more close out of the two or do you feel like a lot of people struggle with all of them? Yeah, I love that you mentioned that and I love that you even said that you and your kids are noticers. And I think yeah. so much of the question what's here now is a question of noticing. Are you willing to just notice where are you? Yeah. Will you name it for what it is? Yeah. And can you bring some loving kindness, some nurture? Yeah. That? You know, that, that's really what the question is, right? It, it's just a noticing question. And the way that you do it is, is through, you know, what am I sensing here in my body? What am I mm -hmm. feeling in my heart? And what am I thinking in my mind? All the ways that God invited us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mm -hmm. mind, and strength, right? So what's happening in this body of mine? What's mm -hmm. happening my heart space and what's happening yeah. in my thoughts. And, and, you know, asking the question about blame and shame, I would say also guilt. They're like these triplets with one another, right? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, guilt is this feeling of I made a mistake. Shame is this feeling of I am yes. a mistake. And yes. blame is I want somebody else to pay the price for the mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime those three enter into our relationships, enter into our thoughts, enter into, you know, the way that we're interacting with people, it is a sign that we don't want to notice what's really here. Mm -hmm. We don't want to name what's really here. And the sadness in that, Jess, is after we notice and after we name, I think God's invitation is to just nurture that part of ourselves. You cannot change what you cannot accept. Yeah. And so how will we bring change and transformation into our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit if we can't accept that blame is here or mm. we can't accept blame is here or guilt is here? Yeah. And I think so often we're pushing these things away and then pushing ourselves away to the past or to the future. And we're staying in these ruts, right? And yeah. we're just rehashing what was, or we we're rehearsing what we think will be instead of receiving what is here, choosing to actually come into the present moment and just notice and name and bring some nurture to it. I, I see this, of course, in my closest relationships all the time with, with Jared, my husband, and my kids, right? And that's the fastest place where I practice blame, you know? <laughs> I mean, oh those, are, those are the quickest people. And one of the things that we've really tried to bring into our family is this question. And whenever, you know, voices are, are high or there's tension in our dynamics, one of us, you know, will try to lovingly say, Hey, what's here now? Just as, as a way to diffuse what's yeah. going on. 
And if we allow ourselves to get present, you know, and ask that question, okay, what's here in my body? Maybe there's some stress, you know, in my shoulders or some fear in my stomach, right? Or or there's some thoughts running across the ticker tape of of my mind, you know, that are like, I don't want to take responsibility for this thing. And I feel scared. If I'm willing to get honest with those things and just name that, like, oh, does it change the dynamic of a relationship? Because Mm. when we see and, and if I were to say, oh, gosh, you know, yeah, there's some fear here in my in my belly and thoughts of defensiveness running through my mind and my heart feels scared, it changes the whole dynamic of a conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I can actually be here talking with the people that I love. And so, yeah. you know, in my family, we ask this question. We, we do this in our church yeah. all the time. You know, I just think it's a spiritual question. Real estate agents always say, you know, location, location, location. And I think that that's a spiritual mantra that God wants us to come into this present moment to locate, locate, locate ourselves in this now moment. And then we can actually see and be seen. And isn't that what we all want? I just want people to see me. I just want to be loved. And that's what you want, right? You you want to be seen and you want to be loved. But we can't do that if we're not present. You talk about your family. There's one part in the book, and I'm probably going to misquote it, but you were talking about coming home one day and your husband had sent a text asking something about like, aren't you going to pick up the kids or have you already picked up the kids? Something. And you just you talked about like telling a whole story about that one text and instead coming home to him and saying, hey, this is how that made me feel. This is This is the story that I started telling, it was one of those sections where I just immediately like grabbed my chest and thought like, I actually believe that's going to save some marriages. Handing women and men this tool to say, like, say the thing behind the thing, say what's here now, you know, don't live into this story. Don't live into this assumption that you've like told, oh, she's so beautiful. Okay. With that being said about not living into assumptions, I want to skip from processing the past and moving into the section on the future. I would love to just hear you talk a little bit about worry. And even interestingly, when you just said that now about, okay, what's here now? Is it fear? But listening, reading your chapter on worry, I was so struck between the difference between worry and fear and how honest and real one is and how unproductive the other is. And again, if you're thinking this is like your cute women's ministry book where there's a girl like sitting by her laundry basket telling you not to worry, that is not what this book is. (laughs) I mean, you are a woman who really holds like wildly important things. And you're not saying like, just don't think about it, no big deal. But will you talk a little bit about, yeah, just turning down the volume on worry. Yeah. Yeah. I, of course, you know, we write what we most need, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I had to write from this place of realizing um, that for me, when worry shows up in my life, it's because the volume is turned to an excessive degree, usually in three different areas. One, mm-hmm. a rapid pace. I am not living within my limits, unboundaried relationships. I'm saying yes when yes is not best and excessive and unfiltered input. And I'm, I'm not allowing myself to really have a boundary around what comes in. And when those things are going on, when the volume is like at a, Uh, beyond 10 in my pace, no boundaries in my relationships, excessive and unfiltered input. One of the best ways to get present with God is to actively be a part of turning the volume down. Yeah. And as I look throughout the scriptures, I really see that the, the ways that God invites that over and over and over again is through making the choice to go slow making the choice to practice solitude and making the choice to have silence in your life. And I've had lots of different seasons of walking through both of those. Jesus is ultimately the model 
of it, mm-hmm. of, of slow and solitude and silence. Um, but I will tell you, Jess, every time I've had an extended season of turning the volume down in my life mm-hmm. and practicing those three things, intentionally practicing those three things, worry doesn't tend to be the thing that draws me out of the present moment because my rhythms are in motion with solitude and silence and slowness. Yeah. Yeah. When the volume's high and, you know, I've got all this unfiltered content coming in, I've got unboundaried relationships. My pace is not at a human pace. I'm living as a human doer, not a human beer. Well, then worry is like on a 10. Just as those things are on a 10, worry is on a 10. And so for me, I've learned that the way to draw back into the present moment is to participate in the turning down of the volume. So good. And it's not that in those quieter seasons, the fear isn't going to come, but it is that you're going to have the margin and the capacity to deal with them, to fight them. Yeah, that's right. And worry is just, you know, it's taking all of our future possibilities and Mm. making them our present realities, right? There are possible things that could happen that we have absolutely no idea whether they will or will not happen. But we Uh. literally go out into the future, you know, wrap a rope around it and draw it into our present reality when it's just a possibility. It's not our actual present circumstance. Mm. Okay, last question. You know, I care a lot about the bodies. I'm really into the bodies around here. The language yes. that you have in your book about being present in our bodies and our body really being a tool to help us experience the present, that language is genuinely as much writing and reading and listening as I've done about the bodies. I've never heard anyone say it so beautifully that there are certain things that your body needs to be present. And as soon as I read that, I was like, that's it. I feel like, especially with breaking free from body shame, I have women ask me all the time, like, okay, so you don't care about taking care of your body anymore. You don't want to, you don't want to be healthy anymore. And I'm like, you're missing the point. <laughs> like, I, I want to care about my body so much more because God cares about my body. I just, I just don't want to fit like American culture version of beauty yes. anymore. Yeah. But that language, I was like, that's like literally the sentence I've been living and living into, but not having words for that. There are certain things that my body needs to be present. So when you just talk about, about that, even just, you don't have to flesh out the whole concept. Cause I'm telling you ladies, if you don't go buy this book, we're in a pickle, you got to go get it. But talk about maybe things that keeps your body from being present and like some rhythms or routines that, that keeps your body in the present or helps you experience the present better. Well, I am such a fan of breaking free from body shame and Mm -hmm. such a fan of everything that you are inviting us into. And when I wrote this chapter, you know, I knew that this was one of the first chapters I needed to write in the book. And I confessed that it was the last chapter I wrote because Mm -hmm. it's the one where I feel the most like a novice, where I feel Mm -hmm. the most like a beginner and in Mm -hmm. really honoring the container known as my body that houses this beautiful life that God has invited me to live into. And I start that chapter with this great quote that I heard in an interview with Naomi Judd years ago. And it says, your body hears everything your mind says. Everything we say about our body, your body holds it. And I know you've done all the research too in The Body Keeps the Score But one of the things that I realized in all of my research is that the body is the one thing that cannot lie to us. Yeah. Outside of God, you know, all of our people, our mind, even our emotions at times, right, can be tricky. The body doesn't know how to lie. The body is perhaps one of the most consistent and dependable gifts that God has given to us. And yet, I am so unkind to it. Yeah. Um, just almost like, yeah, you'll always be here for me. You'll mm-hmm. always do the things I need you to do. And I don't need to give you the things that you most need, you know, like like yeah. water, <laughs> like good sleep, like 
food that is fueling versus, you know, just trying to, to get by. And I realized that my body has always been asking for me to care for it, to be mm. curious about it, to, to offer it some courage and mm. love it back the way that it loves me. And I close that chapter with a thank you note to mm-hmm. my body. And I had never done that. You know, I grew up in a, in a family where I mean, every gift, my mom was like, you're all going to write a thank you note. <laughs> and I was always like, mom, I just want to play with the toy. Like, I just want to, you know, do the thing. I don't, I don't have to say thank you in a written note. Well, yeah. now that that exercise has served me well, because it is a great thing to offer somebody a note. But I realized yeah. in the writing of this chapter, I had never sat down and thanked my body. All that this container has carried me through. In the process of that, oh, wow, it it was such a gift to become a person of gratitude towards Mm. my body. And and it's shifted how I see it and how I interact with it. I would also say, you know, one of the things that I realized about getting present to the body is that often I would leave the present moment when it came to my body when I wanted it to be something that it wasn't. Mm. I wanted it to be a certain size mm-hmm. or I wanted it to weigh a certain number. And what I realized was that I was taking these non-emotional entities, numbers that show up on a scale, and I was ascribing them with meaning. Yes. The size of the gene has absolutely no meaning. Right. The number on the scale has absolutely no meaning, but I was giving it meaning and then I was leaving the present moment every time yeah. I did that. Yeah. And I started realizing these non-emotional entities are defining my relationship with this mm-hmm. beautiful vessel yeah. that has carried me through every experience that I've had, you know, all these years on the planet. It is critical to become noticers of our body mm-hmm. and to name what's going on inside of it and to nurture it the way God invites us to nurture it. Yeah. I've told women and I feel it and I really do in Jesus name get to live it most of my days that I believe that breaking free for body shame will help you feel more present a hundred percent because you're not thinking yes. about future stress. You're not thinking about past shame. You're able to just be there. You're not evaluating if you're worthy to be there. You're just saying like, I am here. My body's good here, but I just can't get over this idea too, that utilizing being present will also help you break free from body shame. And so even just your language around that, I was like, oh, if I am, and, and I always tell women because I'm like, what's freedom for you every day is going to shift and change and it's going to be listening yes, to God. Right. And, and I always ask women like, what, what makes you feel more free? Makes you run off God. But now I have a new language to say like, what makes you feel present? Do that. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes yes. I would say eating a big bowl of nachos is actually about shame for me. And it's actually about guilt for me. But sometimes eating a big bowl of nachos for me is going to be about celebration. And sometimes like dancing in the kitchen with my husband and a glass of wine is going to be about being present. And sometimes a big glass of wine underneath a blanket is going to be about worry. And so just to be present, like what helps me be the most present in my body right now, that's freedom. That's it. And in both of those examples, it's bringing attentiveness to why you're doing what you're doing. It's going back to that holy thing again, right? Mm -hmm. Can you notice why you're doing what you're doing? Can you name it for what it is? And can you bring some healthy nurture to that? And in those moments when you're under the blanket, drinking the glass of wine, or, you know, you're trying to numb some feeling with Mm. the plate of nachos, one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves is the gift of curiosity. Yeah. And just, why am I doing this? Yeah. Can I, for what it is, can I notice that this is what I'm doing? And in that moment, can I bring some healthy nurture? Because, you know, whenever we're doing something from a place of shame, if we just pour more shame on it, Mm -hmm. but if we bring it out into the light, the one thing that shame doesn't want is healthy oxygen. It, It doesn't want to breathe. Right. And, 
I just so claim the the truth of Jesus when he says, I've come to give life and give it to the full. But the little phrase before that is that the enemies come to kill, yes. steal, and destroy. And so much of what we do with our body is we participate in what the enemy is already doing by mm. killing, stealing. And so we're not living life and life to abundance. We're actually partnering with the enemy that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. And he does it through the body. So true. So good. Thank you. Okay. I could have you just talk to me for hours and pastor me through this, but I'm going to reread the book. And I'm going to encourage everyone else to read it. I'm going to pick a day to come to Soul City in Chicago and see you. But can I ask... Please do. Before we leave, I will. Don't worry. You might have to kick me out. But how can we be praying for you? How can the Go and Tell Gosh just be fighting for you and standing with you in this book Mm -hmm. launch in this season? Mm, Thank you so much. I love that you close your podcast like that. Mm -hmm. It's so loving, which is so who you are, Jess. I would say right before we hit record, I was telling you, uh, I'm such a newbie to this. This is the first book I've ever released. And so every day is a vulnerability hangover. (laughs) Every day I'm like, can I feel more vulnerable? Oh, tomorrow. It's coming tomorrow. (laughs) And I, of course, wrote an incredibly vulnerable book. You know, now I'm like, and I can't take it back. It's out there in the world. And so my (laughs) prayer is that people feel so deeply seen by this book. That's my prayer. Let it be so deeply seen by God that they start to see themselves and that they begin to see one another in a whole new way and ask this incredibly sacred and holy question. What's here now? Mm -hmm. What's here now? And they'd actually allow themselves to answer it. Amen. Thank you so much. We're so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. Whoosh. I could listen to that genie all day long. She is so wise. But we have one more treat for you today. As an organization, we started partnering with Compassion International a few years ago, actually. Anna Victorson and I, at the time, Anna was the only employee of Go and Tell Gals besides myself, and we were at an event in 2018, and they were handing out Compassion packets to sponsor specific children through Compassion. And Anna and I said, hey, let's sponsor a child together through Compassion. And since then, we've gone on to sponsor other children, and we've gone on to just help them share about the incredible message, how are providing education and food and healthcare for kids around the world. And we've been thrilled to partner with Compassion. And one of the coolest ways that we have just loved getting to know them and their mission better is meeting women who used to be in the Compassion program, who are sponsored by other people and who now are just leading in really incredible ways. And so you are going to hear from Cecilia today. We did a quick interview with her to just hear about her life, what compassion has meant to her, and you're going to love it. You're going to be super blessed by it. So listen in, pray about, you'll hear me say this, pray about maybe if this isn't for you, because we think this is almost for everyone. So we would love for you to listen in, hear from Cecilia, learn from her, and see how you might be called to partner with Compassion. If you feel called to take the next step and sponsor a child, go to the Go and Tell Gals Instagram and look at the link in our profile, and we'll have a link there for you to sign up. We'd love to partner with you together to, yeah, get as many kids sponsored as possible. Cecilia, we are so grateful you're here today. Thanks for hopping on the Go and Tell Gals podcast with us. We are obviously huge fans of compassion over here, and it's such a blessing to get to hear from women like you. So will you just share a little bit of your story? We're so grateful you're here. Well, thank you so much, Jess. It's an honor to be here this afternoon and to share with you a little bit about myself. So I am from Kenya. I was born and raised in Kenya. I grew up in a village in Western Kenya. For those who might have an idea, Western Kenya, near Lake Victoria, Kisumu, those areas. I grew up in a large family. Um, We were initially 10 children. 
and my parents they didn't have a source of income what they did was subsistence farming which means that they grew things on the farm if anything grew then we had food if nothing grew for some time then there was no food and yeah so growing up in the village just to paint for you a little bit a picture of our house how it looked like our house was made of mud the walls were made of mud the roof was made of grass so anytime it rained my father had to keep adding grass to the roof so we don't get soaked in so the floors and mud and the roof and the walls were made of mud the roof was made of grass typically life in the village was like you would wake up and you know go to the farm my parents didn't go to school so they did not really emphasize so much on us going to school or giving direction towards that so most of the time other kids around us would be going to school and we we were not going to school so also to add on to that a little bit of things that went on back home was alcoholism so both my parents were alcoholics so and it was tough because sometimes we would not know where they'd gone to and they would go drinking somewhere and then they would come back and it would be a lot of chaos violence at home and that was the kind of environment that i grew up in and i really desired things to be different you know like why can't we be like other kids why can't we wake up on a normal day and know uh what we are going to eat or wake up uh, are we going to school or you wake up and like oh, where are our parents today you know so that was kind of how life was back then but the good thing is that always reminded of Jeremiah 29:11 which says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future god uses he can use anything or anyone to turn around our stories and in my case the first thing he did was he my uncle my mother's brother he came home one day and told my mom that he was going to help her that things could not keep on the way they were in our family that there had to be a change he said the way he was going to help her was by taking one of her kids going to Nairobi the capital city of Kenya with this child and putting this child in school and hoping that one day this child will come back and change this family my uncle believed in education and he was the only one in his home like in his village too who had gone to school so he understood the importance of education so he took me to go live with him in Nairobi and he took me basically said i'm going to take this one because i share a middle name with my grandmother <laughs> anyango i have three names cecilia anyango nyamwander and anyango is kind of my grandmother's name so he said um since i'm named after his mother he's going to take me so i went with him to nairobi and he did put me in school but he could not keep me in school because school was not free as such like there was an amount of money that you had to pay to stay in school so here was me and my cousin both going to the same school and my uncle could not afford to pay for both of us at the same time to go to school so most of the time our were in and out of school because you'd go to school and they send you home hey go bring the money you go home there's no money so you stay there for some time and you think maybe the teacher's forgotten let me go back to school <laughs> you go back to school and you realize oh they've not forgotten they send you back home so that was it back and forth back and forth but as jeremiah 29:11 keeps sticking out that god is giving us a hope and a future one day um compassion social workers came to our school when they were looking for needy children so compassion partners with the local churches and these local churches they have compassion projects and in this project they have social workers who come to the schools or they know the community very well they can go in and you know they know the people they know the community they can go in and that's how they came to our school and they 
thank God for my grade three teacher who forwarded my name to them when they came. I don't even think I was in school that day when they came to our school. And going to the compassion program was not automatic those days. They would have to come and interview you and make sure that indeed there's a need. So they came and found my aunt. They interviewed my aunt and me, and then I got enrolled into the compassion program. And that is when my life began to change. I was in third grade when I got enrolled into the program. My life changed. I got wonderful sponsors, Bob and Colleen Staggs. They are from Ames, Iowa. Bob and Colleen Staggs changed my life because their sponsorship not only ensured that I went to school, but it ensured that I was able to stay in school, something that I really wanted, like I needed to stay in school. With their sponsorship, also being able to go to the Compassion Project, get food, if there's no food at home, go to the project, learn the word of God, you know, I got my first Bible from the project and I learned the word of God at the project and gave my life to Christ because the social workers there shared with me the love of Jesus and I'm so grateful getting to give my life to Christ was something that helped me to know that I could pray and God would change our family I was praying the Lord just help (laughs) make my parents stop drinking that was it like not anything else but that, just for them to stop and so that things would be different in our family. I'm so grateful for the sponsorship of Bob and Colin Staggs because even just being able to go to a hospital when I was sick was something I don't take for granted because I lost two of my brothers to diseases that were preventable, but we could not afford to take them to hospital when they were sick. And one of my sisters died when my mom was giving birth to her at home because she could not afford to go to a hospital. So just being able to get that medical attention for me was something, it was a big deal. Through the sponsorship of Bob and Colin Staggs, being able to stay in school, God opened many other opportunities. And I was able to complete my elementary education. And then I went to high school, still through Compassion. And from there, I joined the leadership development program through Compassion and completed my bachelor's degree in physics at the University of Nairobi. And I graduated from the Compassion program And I got a scholarship to go to Italy for two years to pursue a postgraduate diploma in physics. And then I came to Memphis, Tennessee in 2011 to pursue a doctorate degree. And I got my PhD in geophysics in 2015 from the University of Memphis. Proceeded to work as a researcher at the university and Another thing that I was able to do was I was here, uh, no, before I came here, we started a mentorship program for women in physics in Kenya. And this is just something we started with a group of ladies to encourage those upcoming young girls still in that they can also go through this process because we have gone through it. So we encourage them, we provide materials for them to write papers or even opportunities for attending conferences outside Kenya so they can also get this knowledge from somewhere else other than their country. Also a sponsor with Compassion and just uh, grateful because I know what it means to be on the other end being a child on a packet or just waiting for someone to pick you up and speak hope and speak life to you because that is what my sponsors did for me. Bob and Colleen Staggs, they not only just sent their $38 a month, but they developed a relationship with me. They wrote letters to me, encouraging me and telling me how much they loved me, how much they were praying for me. And they believed in me, you know, even when I did not think I would be anything. I know those letters are some of the reasons that I'm even here today, because many times in my life when things got so tough or I felt like giving up, I had my sponsor's letters. 
that I would lay down and just read and read and read. And those were things that were speaking life to me. And I would read them and then I would get up and say, okay, we can do this, you know. So those letters were very, very important for me because I would not have made it this far without my sponsors, without them just giving me that opportunity to go to school. And I'm grateful because God did change our family. My parents, they stopped drinking. They started going to church and something that I never thought was possible. Just last year, my father passed away. But I I give thanks to God because he did not die a drunkard or our story was different. He was a changed man and he knew Jesus and that is something that I'm really grateful for. So in a nutshell, that's my life. Wow. And yeah, if you have any questions, willing to take any. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I mean, we often tell people around here in our office and in our community, we say, don't pray about whether or not you should sponsor a child for compassion. We say, pray about whether you shouldn't, because you probably just should. For most of us, it's such an easy (laughs) yes. And I think hearing stories like yours are so affirming of that that we have access to so many different ways we can serve people. And this is one that is just right in front of us. But I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for how you've continued to work with compassion. And I know you're just absolutely making such a difference in so many people's lives, not even included how you're using your wisdom and your gifts of intellect in science and all the other places. So I mostly just want to say thank you. Thanks for sharing your story with us. We're so grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast. You can find us at goandtellgals.com online or goandtellgals on Instagram or Facebook. We would be so honored if you had a minute to leave a review wherever you've listened to this episode, share it with your friends and let us know that you're listening. We're so grateful for you. God is mighty in you.